0: Have you ever wondered what it's like to perform an autopsy? Ever wanted to know how accurate your favorite crime drama is? If you're brave enough, join Join us Inside Inside the the morgue. Morgue. And welcome back to Inside the Morgue. where your hosts and autopsy techs, Jess and Alice. Today we will be revisiting and dissecting a fan favorite, Dexter. And it's one of my personal favorites, so I was very excited to get back into this. We will be going over season seven, episode seven, titled Chemistry. So let's get into it. So Dexter was about
1: to kill Hannah, this woman who he deems as a bad person in the previous episode. On the kill table, but instead they went at it very sexually, which is a choice to open for the episode. It's a showtime show. Yeah, exactly. So they can just do whatever they want, and they... They did. She gets hold of his knife and holds it to Dexter's throat. He confesses that he kills bad people, and that's just what he does, and she fits that general description of that. So meanwhile, Deb is on a date with some guy who's a true crime writer, journalist, and they're talking about Hannah's late husband. He was 40 and dropped dead from a heart attack, which doesn't happen very often, so it's a little suspicious. Deb wants to have the body exhumed to examine it and test it for aconite. They discovered in the past episode that Hannah may have poisoned the husband to kill him. And like we always do, we end up coming in the middle of the mess of all these episodes when so many things have already happened. We have a habit of watching the part twos of storylines yeah. when all the drama is <laughs> happening all the drama is unfolding so for those who don't know aconite is a plant also known by several other names including monks monkshood wolfsbane, and even queen of the poisons it's native to the northern hemisphere of north america as well as europe and asia most species of aconitum are extremely poisonous and need to be handled very carefully they contain substantial amounts of aconitine especially in their roots Aconitine is a potent neurotoxin as well as a cardiotoxin and causes constant depolarization of neuronal sodium channels, resulting in an influx of sodium through these channels that will lead to a delay in repolarization, which will ultimately result in diarrhea convulsions, ventricular arrhythmia, which is an abnormal heartbeat in the lower two chambers of the heart, also known as the ventricles, and even death. Back in the show, it's been 10 years since the passing of her husband, but if aconite was in the system, the toxirine would find it. So, for toxicology testing in our morgue, what we usually collect at autopsy is blood, urine, if there's any, bile from the gallbladder, vitreous fluid from the eyes, and gastric contents, again, if there's any. And in some cases, we'll do what we call a quick tox in the morgue. Some hospitals, it's known as a UDS, like a urine drug screen. And it's really just a quick test. It's either a dipstick or a dropper, and we test the urine. These tests will test for cocaine, benzos, amphetamines, morphine, fentanyl, and a whole bunch of other drugs. But this isn't a quantitative test. It really just tells you yes, it's in the system. No, it's not in the system. It doesn't give us any levels of how much it is. It's just if it's there or not. So, And it's also not always accurate. Sometimes it's it's a false positive or there's too much of it for the test to detect. We'll always send to the toxicology lab and wait for the final result to see what exactly was in the system and at what level it was at. And the lab will test for all of the drugs the QuickTox does and... So many more, that will give us a quantitative result. So we can tell us how much of the certain drug is in that person's system. Based on a paper titled Intentional Ingestion of Aconite Two Cases of Suicide, which we will link in our show notes, the half life of aconitine alkaloids studied were described between 5.8 and and 15.4 hours, meaning the acenatine is eliminated from the body over a 23 to 62 hour period. The hard part, if they go through, back in the show, if they go through exhuming the body, will be getting consent. Hannah is legally the next of kin, but it's very doubtful that she's going to sign off but she also isn't the only next of kin. There are several next of kins in like the lineup. So the husband did have a sister, so that qualifies as next of kin. The next morning, Hannah and Dexter are driving back from his kill shed. They talk about if he's going to try and kill her again, and he says no. That was just more of a misunderstanding. Can you imagine? And he, it was so casual, too. Like, no, I'm not going to kill you again. You just misunderstood. They just so casually get in a car together after everything that just went down. He tried to kill
0: her. They ended up having sex a lot on the kill table and get in the car. Are you
1: still going to kill me? No, it was just a misunderstanding. They're so messed up and they're perfect for each other. They're both. Yeah, exactly. So Hannah really doesn't seem shaken up at all over the fact that she was almost killed. I don't understand how because I think I would be hyperventilating right now. He drops her off at her house and he notices that Sal Price, the man that Deb was on a date with last night, seems to be following him slash stalking out Hannah's house. Price talks about an old case that Dexter fudged the blood spatter report on, and now Price knows why. It's because Dexter seems to be protecting somebody. Dexter says that Price can't write about him and Hannah because it will destroy his job. Price says there's no way around it. Dexter could always go on record and get the facts straight for Price, though but Dexter can do him one better. He was the last person to speak with the victim, the one that he fudged the report on, and Dexter can tell Price his last words and how he really felt about Hannah. He'll give that some thought, and in the meantime is going to keep quiet about him and Hannah. As he leaves, he tells Dexter to watch what he eats around her. At the precinct, Deb meets with the captain. All the leads the captain has had about the past serial killer murders are at a dead end, and she wants to brainstorm with Deb to see if they're missing something. Deb isn't too sure they did miss anything. So she's covering for Dexter, who was actually the Bay Harbor Butcher. Spoiler alert for anybody! Spoiler alert for the show that's been out forever that I haven't watched all the way through. <laughs> don't don't listen to a
0: podcast that talks about season seven of Dexter if you haven't.
1: <laughs> if you if you're worried about spoilers,
0: guys, for season this you find this out in like episode one. <laughs> He's actually the Bay Harbor Butcher, guys.
1: <laughs> so all of the evidence they have points to Sergeant Dokes. The captain doesn't seem too sold in the fact that dokes is the killer for these murders dexter is also at the office looking up everything there is to know about sal price and he quickly closes out all the screens on his computer when deb walks in the door she hands him the blood spatter report the one that he knowingly got wrong and deb says there's something weird about it and wants dexter to clear it up for her on one of the crime scene photos in the report the blood spatter points to a killer other than the one they claim it to be someone smaller Deb got this info because Price had an outside lab run an analysis at it, and this lab found the discrepancies in the report. She asked if Dexter missed this, and he says he didn't miss anything and considered the same scenario that someone smaller could have done it, but blood spatter is largely a matter of interpretation. Go listen to our first episode that we did about Dexter. We talk all about how much of an interpretation it is and how they do get things wrong a lot of the time. Mm Mm-hmm. I think- I think that was our fourth episode. Yeah. It's called It's Written on the Walls. But Dexter was convinced that the man he said did it, did it. Deb goes on to say that the blood from the killer could have been tested to confirm it was who they say it is. Dexter didn't think the test would have been worth the time or the money since the case was already solved. After them going back and forth on it, Deb thinks that Hannah is the killer and that Dexter is covering for her. She thinks that he's covering for her so that he can save her for the kill table. Well, oh, he's doing more than killing on that table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, little does she know <laughs> he kind of is saving for the kill table, but for other reasons. Sorry,
0: I'm so immature. <laughs>
1: So Deb leaves and another investigator comes in to talk to Dexter about how an attorney is coming in to get samples from a case to run analysis on to confirm the client's blood. Just then, another tech comes in and says the evidence for this case is gone from the freezer. The captain is not happy that the most crucial piece of evidence just disappeared. Dexter logged the blood sample into evidence himself. Others think there may be a mole in the precinct and maybe the evidence got misplaced. They have 24 hours to find the blood samples or to come up with new evidence. If they don't, the killer walks. They're going to check the log to see who's been in the evidence locker within the past few days. The crime scene has not been released yet, and Dexter thinks that he can go collect more blood samples there. He and two other investigators go to the scene. So, here's a green flag, because the investigators all have gloves... And they all have a scene bag with them. So we've mentioned scene bags before in a couple of our episodes, but just a refresher, they're a bag that contains things an investigator might need at a scene, like PPE, gloves, shoe covers, masks, or any other equipment like flashlights, rulers, or anything to aid in their investigation at the scene. So the crime scene is at a bar, and
0: they walk under the caution tape that they put on the front door. And I think we have to give this a red flag here, because although they do have gloves... They're all just, like, in their normal street clothes, and they don't have any PPE on, no shoe covers, and there's clearly blood and other things on the floor that they're stepping all over. Like, guys, if you watch this episode, it's gross, a blood-soaked floor. You know what we're going to say? Where is the PPE? We love PPE in this podcast. So they should, at the very least, be wearing shoe covers, which as the name suggests, are just disposable slip-on covers that go right over the shoe. This would protect not only the person's shoe as well as the integrity of the scene by preventing, like, anything from the person's shoe being tracked into the scene or just also protect your shoe from getting blood all over it. Like, especially if they're wearing their just, like, nice office clothes. I think, like, Dexter's
1: wearing a polo and khakis. Just Yeah, <laughs> why why are you going to risk getting that to be a biohazard? Like, we have designated morgue shoes that we wear. And we've talked about them before. Sloggers. Mm-hmm. They're literally little rain booties. Yep. So easy to clean. I
0: love them. So at the scene, a sewage line exploded, which is actually what's on the floor. It's not just blood-soaked floor, but it's fluid-soaked floor. (laughs) Bodily fluid-soaked. Other gross contaminants. Gross floor, which even more reason to wear a shoe cover. It's sewage. Mm -hmm. And now their crime scene is contaminated. They're still going to look around to see if there's any blood that isn't contaminated or destroyed. The one investigator goes outside with another guy while Dexter and the two others stay inside to find evidence. The one guy shows the evidence log from the last 72 hours. He questions the other investigator because his name was on the list. This other detective definitely contaminated the crime scene and he's working for some shady people to protect his girlfriend. I think his this is Quinn, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm just remembering because I'm a Dexter fan. I have to rewatch the whole season, though. It's been, or the whole series. It's been a while. But anyway, at the precinct, Deb calls Dexter and tells him not to do anything to their guy if he ends up walking. Price then comes into her office with the name of Hannah's late husband's sister. So remember earlier we were talking about the next of kin and having to get consent to exhume the body. So he found the husband's sister. Her name is Lori, and Deb will talk to her to get consent for the exhumation. She tells her that Hannah may be responsible for her brother's death, and that's why they want to exhume his body. Hannah and the husband seem to have a good relationship, according to Lori, and looked like they were very much in love, especially after Hannah found out she was expecting. Dun, dun, dun! So this comes as a shock to Deb. She didn't know that Hannah had been pregnant. So, Lori said that Hannah lost the baby right after her husband's death and that she had a miscarriage. Hannah cut that whole side of the family off after the funeral, and Deb thinks she can find out exactly what happened to Lori's brother with her consent to exhume his body. Price goes to Hannah's job to talk to her about the story he's writing about her and how Dexter's coming for her. By the way, she works at, like, a flower shop or, like, a, some kind of nursery.
1: Because wolf spain and aconite yeah. are a plant. Mm-hmm. She's
0: not happy and agrees to meet Price tomorrow to talk more about it. He calls Dexter to tell him that he agrees to the offer earlier, about Dexter saying he'll tell him what the killer's last words were, and wants to meet tomorrow, after Price is done meeting with Hannah. Dexter wants to get rid of Price, and he'll do anything to accomplish that. He'll even try to link Price's DNA to an unsolved crime, making him look like a suspect since he loves getting inside the murders he writes about. Deb got Lori's consent to exhume her brother's body, and they have the coffin exhumed in the morgue. The ME opens a casket, and they just see a skeleton dressed in a suit. And Deb is very confused, because there is no tissue left, and it's just bone. So this would be very normal if the body isn't embalmed. Embalming a body is normally standard procedure, unless the next of kin specifies otherwise. So, Hannah must have told the funeral home to not embalm this body. They can't test for aconite on bone, so exhuming the body was useless. Which is heartbreaking for Lori. And Deb can't run the test, so it seems like a dead end, but Deb isn't going to give up. Typically, on all the bodies that we work on, we'll collect and send out specimens for toxicology. The only time we won't send anything out is if the body comes in and is already embalmed. This happens occasionally. There may have been a primary care physician that had said they were going to sign the death certificate, and they do, but what they put as the cause of death isn't sufficient, or they need to put something that wasn't mentioned in the original death report. So the body then has to come to the morgue, so a pathologist will see the body and sign off on the death certificate. But at this point, the body's already been pumped with all these embalming fluids, so it's nearly impossible to test for our routine talks, because all that would come back would be embalming fluids. So if they were going to test for aconite, I think, I mean, I don't know the exact chemistry of aconite, but I think the embalming fluids would have destroyed the aconite in the soft tissue. So I don't know. I was a little confused with the logic here. But yeah, I don't think they would have gotten aconite whether or not the body was embalmed. Deb goes to talk to Price about what just happened. He goes to meet with Hannah to interview her after he met with Deb for his story. She agreed to this so that he would keep Dexter out of the investigation. While they're doing their interview, Dexter goes to Price's house to get his DNA to plant at a crime scene. He grabs a toothbrush and dental floss with blood on it. And he must not floss very often. He's got bloody floss. But, you know, I'm not a dentist, so. He also lifted a fingerprint from the metal soap dispenser. Jess and I typically don't like lift prints in this sense. We do take fingerprints for each case, though. But we have learned the process of how to lift a print, and there are several different ways to do it. Just a little bit about fingerprints. The most common prints are patent and latent fingerprints. Patent fingerprints are impressions or prints that are transferred using some type of fluid or chemical. So, for instance, let's say a criminal at a scene gets blood, which is a fluid, on their fingers and hands, and then they go to touch a doorknob and it leaves behind a bloody fingerprint. That would be a patent print. Latent prints are prints that are left behind from like the natural oils on one's skin. They're less obvious to the naked eye and these are the prints that are typically dusted for and lifted at a scene. There are several ways to lift a print like this and a lot of the decision into what strategy to use depends on what object has the print on it. So I feel like everybody listening Probably has this image in their head of someone using like a duster and tape to lift a print, which can be done. I feel like that's standard, but usually I think it's a specialized paper that can be used instead of like typically, sometimes we'll see just like scotch tape on like the shows. I don't know how standard that is because once again, I am not a crime scene tech. I am an autopsy tech. But um, there's also magnetic powders and there's also one that I find super interesting is cyanoacrylate ester, which is an ingredient in quick drying glue. And this way of lifting a print is really interesting. So you can take the object that has a print on it, say it's like an ashtray or something. I don't know if they would use it for an ashtray. But they'll put the cyanoacrylate ester on the object and put the object in a controlled environment and apply heat to it. And over a period of a few hours, the fumes from this process will cause the print to become visible and you are able to photograph it. I've never seen it in real life. I've seen videos of it and it is really neat. It's really cool to see. So anyway, Dexter didn't do this. He just lifted fingerprint with like tape or something. But Dexter then goes through Price's computer for anything he has on Hannah. He deletes everything Price had on her. After Price is done talking to Hannah, he goes over to Dexter's place. Before their interview starts, Dexter wants to share his own idea for a story with Price. New DNA pops up in an unsolved murder of a woman who Price wrote a book about. She was a jogger who was killed in a park. Turns out that the DNA belonged to a true crime writer. And there's an anonymous tip mentioning Sal Price, who wrote a very successful book about the same case, and it turned out he is the killer. That would be a crazy plot twist. Dexter then mentions that Price may need a new toothbrush. So obviously, as Dexter is threatening Price with this false blackmail, Price gets more and more angry
1: and says that Dexter won't get away with it. Price stands up and clenches his chest before falling over, hitting his head on the corner of the coffee table. Dexter thinks Hannah poisoned Price while he was at her house. He starts CPR and calls 911. Paramedics and the detectives all go to the scene. Dexter tells them that their interview might have gotten a little heated and that he was accused of sloppy work on this blood spatter analysis, but that's all. One of the investigators is, is, is examining the body and taking notes. They have those classic yellow number markers out around the body. Price has a contusion on his head, which caused all of the blood, but that's not enough to kill him. They say they're going to wait for the medical examiner to get there. So, a red flag here, because we've mentioned this multiple times before. Medical examiners and pathologists do not go to scenes. That would be the job of a deputy coroner or a death investigator to go out. Deb arrives at Dexter's. She's convinced that Hannah killed Price. Price had told Deb that he thought that she stabbed one of the victims, Hannah stabbed one of the victims, on the spree, and that she kept on killing her husband and all these other people with poison, and that he was going to put it all together in this book. Deb thinks Hannah poisoned Price, and that it's just not a coincidence. They're going to run a track screen on Price's body and test for aconite. Hannah is brought in for questioning, and she doesn't seem too concerned when Dexter sees her at the precinct. Deb goes to interview her and tells her that Price is dead, and Hannah seems genuinely shocked. She thinks that it's crazy of Deb to accuse her of murder, and Deb has a blood report from a past case that proves that he was killed, somebody was killed with a plant that grows on Hannah's property.
0: I mean, why would you... I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna study... What aconite looks like, so I can like see it
1: <laughs> if people are growing it. Be like, hey, looking at my neighbors. Okay, who's plotting a murder? Oh, you
0: like gardening? Let me look at those plants. <laughs> <laughs> Let me take a look at that. They look a little. They look a little sus. Can you imagine some someone showing you around their garden and like, this is my rose bush. This is, and you're like, oh, what's that interesting looking plant over there? Oh, it's aconite.
1: <laughs> the most random thing. There was a case the other day. I think he had like arsenic poisoning. But We also were going to test for aconite, but the the tox lab that we have, they don't have a specific aconite test, so I had to pull hair. Hair is actually, fun fact, fun forensic fact, if you're going to test for arsenic, test somebody's hair and get the root of the hair. It's all about the root. (laughs) (laughs) Just the tip. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So anyway, back in the show, there is a forensic report the one that we've been talking about the whole episode that Dexter got wrong, and this proves that she stabbed one of their victims to death. But Hannah has immunity for that killing, and the other evidence is all circumstantial. So circumstantial evidence is evidence that relies on inference or deduction to connect to a conclusion or a fact, whereas direct evidence supports the fact directly. So, for instance, a suspect is witnessed fleeing the scene of crime. That is circumstantial evidence because you have to infer that the reason they're fleeing is because they're guilty of the crime. But it does not directly connect them to that crime. It's only circumstantial unless Deb can tie it to the poisons that they're going to find on Price's body. They then start talking about her late husband, who also randomly died of a heart attack along with her unborn baby. Was he pressuring her into starting a family, and was she feeling trapped because of that, and maybe that was a motive to kill? Their interview's done, and Hannah goes to leave. Dexter goes to Hannah's house that night, and as soon as she opens the door, she says that Price was going to destroy her life, so she had to do something about it. She saw a chance and took it for the both of them. Like, how would you feel if somebody said that to you? Oh, I did this. I killed. So- I killed a man, but for us. I mean, I, not a serial killer, would
0: be very alarmed. Dexter, a normal well, person,
1: would be alarmed. <laughs> normal. Well, quote.
0: Quote. Normal. We work in a more quote normal. <laughs> We chose this life. We chose a, we
1: <laughs> chose a certain life, not the serial killer life. So I would be alarmed still. Very much alarmed. So she figured that the poison would kick in on the road, putting Price in a very convenient auto accident. Not that he would die on Dexter's floor. Price liked to chew on his pens, and the pen that he had that night had a little something extra on it that was completely undetectable. She just wishes she could have had destroyed his book along with him, but Dexter was the one who actually destroyed Price's book by deleting all of the research off of his computer. Dexter asks if it was true about her and her husband, and she says that she was the one who wanted a family, and he didn't. Her husband threatened to leave her unless she got an abortion, but she had a miscarriage instead. Deb starts looking at all of the evidence collected from Price's body, and the tox report comes back. The results were negative, and there were no abnormal findings. The Emmy even ran it twice, and it was negative both times. It looks like Hannah's going to get away with it. Again. One of the bags of evidence contained Price's recorder, the one from his interview with Hannah. Deb listens to it, and she calls Dexter about it. She wants justice for what happened. And, in so many words, she asks Dexter to kill Hannah. While he's literally in bed with Hannah. Seriously.
0: And that's just how the episode ends. He answers the phone while they're, like, spooning. And she's sleeping. She doesn't wake (laughs) up, and he's fully on the phone. Yeah. I don't care how quiet you whisper, if you answer the phone, I mean, maybe I would sleep through that. I don't know. I don't think anybody's ever taken secret phone calls while I'm sleeping. I hope they wouldn't. (laughs) Secret phone call from someone asking them to kill me. I hope not. So this week, we found Hannah and her backstory in this episode to be particularly interesting. We looked into whether her story may have been based on any true events, and we found a very interesting story. So, on January 27th, 2009, in West London, Lakvir Kar Singh murdered her former lover, Lakvinder Chima, using poison derived from Aconitum ferox plant. It was the first time since 1882 that a defendant had stood trial in England accused of murder using aconite, which is just crazy. So, Singh and Chima had been involved in a 16 year affair after Chima's first marriage ended. Singh was still married to her husband, who was being treated for cancer. Chima, however, while seeing Singh, became engaged to Gurjeet Choing. He continued his sexual affair with Singh for some time while still engaged, before eventually breaking off the affair to focus on his upcoming marriage to Choing. Singh allegedly sent a series of abusive texts after their wedding was announced which included threatening to burn his house down mr chima's housemates claimed to have seen Singh invite herself into their home and then go to the kitchen and quote handle some of their food and later that night mr chima and his fiance both collapsed after eating at his home and mr chima died within an hour of being admitted to the hospital Ms. Choing spent two days in, the, in a medically induced coma and survived because she had eaten less of the dish than her fiancé had. And Mr. Chima, being very hungry, had had two helpings of the meal and soon became very ill, losing his vision and also losing control of his arms and legs. And before he died, Mr. Chima told the doctors at the hospital that he was convinced that Singh poisoned him. He had previously been hospitalized for a suspected poisoning and recognized the similar symptoms. After Chima's death, chemical, biological, radioactive, and nuclear teams were sent to his home and to Singh's home to perform searches. Police found herbal powders containing the aconite poison in the pocket of Singh's coat at her own home, as well as in her handbag. Singh ultimately was convicted of the murder of Chima and was also charged with causing grievous bodily harm to his fiancée, Ms. Chung. She was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 23
1: years served. I can't believe that this was the first aconite poisoning since 1882. I know, that's what caught my attention with this one, because
0: it does seem like a very vintage thing to poison someone Mm -hmm. in this way. I mean, mean, everybody was dying of different types of poisons
1: back in the day because nobody knew what was poisonous. But this seems like, I don't know, very old school. Such a very old school way to murder somebody. Not that I have... Any other better ideas, or any ideas? Not that I try to think about this. (laughs) Not that I daydream about that, but I feel like there may, like, poison is also very much, like, a female-motivated thing. Mm -hmm. It's a lot less bloody and messy, very well thought out. Also, another thing to tie it back
0: to being vintage, like a vintage, like, not just aconite, but, like, poisoning in general, being, like, a vintage way... People murdered each other back in, like, the 1800s. Women were usually the one preparing the meals, so (laughs) sprinkle a little arsenic in that. They'll never know. Never know.
1: (laughs) Nobody suspected women back in the day either, so. Because all they were were housewives. We've come a long way. Yeah. We're podcast hosts now. (laughs) (laughs) We podcast now. So to end this episode, we tallied a total of one green flag and two red flags, so in our opinion, this episode of Dexter does not pass in terms of forensic accuracy. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to learn more about forensics and true crime, keep on listening. You can find us on Instagram at inside the mark Pod, so feel free to follow us and DM us with any questions. We'd love to hear from you guys. We'll be back next week for a brand new dissection. Bye! <laughs>